And in Matthew chapter 5, we have seen a couple Beatitudes so far, and we come upon verse 5, which reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is a verse that's actually unlike most of the others. It is taken word for word from Psalm 37 verse 11. Since it's word for word, I'm not going to read it again because it was just read to you. Um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And these beatitudes were meant to be counterintuitive. We're going to look into this today, how this, Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones who will inherit the earth. How is that? counterintuitive. How is that against the normal way of thinking? When I was in junior high, uh, I don't even know if Kristen knows this story. <laughs> I haven't told it too many times. When I was in junior high, I was being picked on um, by a classmate who was much stronger than me, much bigger than me. In fact, to this day, he's a career military man. Um, and it was obvious to everyone even in junior high that that's what he was going to be. He had he always had the the flat top, the muscular build, the marine <laughs> um, athletic wear and that's just who he was and that's still who he is. Well one day he was picking on me right before I think it was right before Bible class <laughs> and uh, I had enough and what is a, a, a scrawny um, weak junior high boy as myself supposed to do when a man a guy like that is picking on him well obviously punch him square in the face and that's what i did <laughs> i had had enough and i wanted him to be quiet so i punched him square in the face and uh once my fist hit his nose i immediately regretted my decision and turned and bolted <laughs> Um, I didn't make it too far before he jumped behind me and grabbed me and put me in a, in a headlock. Um, I was literally saved by the bell when someone else in my class shouted, Mr. Hawkins is coming! Mr. Hawkins is coming! And our teacher was coming to the class, um, so that was enough for this other guy to release me from my chokehold. And we got up, we picked up all the desks that we had knocked over in our rumbling, and we sat down in our seats as though nothing had happened. Uh, of course, when he got, our teacher got to the class, uh, he you know, intuitively felt something had been going on. Um, perhaps it was my beet red face from both anger and just being in a chokehold that gave it away. But he asked me, David, what has been going on in this classroom <laughs> in the last five minutes? And I, I just stayed silent, and the whole thing kind of blew over, and we ended up not being in trouble because he never actually found out what happened. Um, but many of us may have been taught this from the time that we were children. I was not taught this. My father did not teach me this way of handling with strife, but many of us perhaps were. If somebody is on you, if there's a bully bullying you, a couple of whacks to the face will make him think twice before bullying you again. And perhaps some of you were taught this. Was anybody in here taught this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we guys had some pretty good father figures, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I do know that do know some who were taught this. That if you are um, being taken advantage of, 
You stand up for yourself, you make a show of power, and you take care of the situation yourself. A show of strength and a show of power is how you stand up for yourself. Maybe we weren't taught this as a way of handling strife in school, but some of us perhaps act like this in the workplace, in our relationships with our wife or with our children, not with a pop to the nose, but with a show of power, show of authority, show of strength. That's how you get your way. The strong arm. The stiff arm. <laughs> this is how we get our way. This is how we make things happen. Is there opposition? Just strong arm it. Do you not like that person? Well, push them out of the way somehow. Make, it not, make them not a problem by a show of strength. Get your way by just being stronger than that person in some way, mentally, physically, emotionally. We still act like this sometimes. But here we see Jesus teaching, Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. First, we saw that it was blessed are the poor in spirit, the beggarly in spirit, the ones who hold nothing as their own. They have no claims to eternal life based off of any achievement that they've accomplished in life. And those are the people that will find themselves submitting to God and thereby receiving the right to passage into his kingdom. Those poor that he was speaking to, the ones that were overlooked, the ones that are taken advantage of. But those are the ones who are to be exalted. They will one day rule in the eternal kingdom with Christ, as stated in 2 Timothy 2.12, if you'd like to write that down. Second, we saw that the mourners were the ones who would be comforted. Those who through their humility gained from being poor in spirit actually saw their lost state and they mourned over it. Those are the ones who actually find true forgiveness because those are the ones who actually have true confession and repentance and a seeking for forgiveness. Those of us who don't really think we've done anything wrong aren't really into seeking for forgiveness. We don't really feel like we need it. But those who are really gra grappled in a chokehold by our sinfulness, and it makes us mourn, we are those who seek repentance, who seek forgiveness. And we are also the ones who find, therefore, a gift of righteousness laid right before us. We are the ones who have our guilt completely annihilated. Romans chapter 5, just briefly, because we need to whet our appetite for this. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 teaches us that since we've been made righteousness, we, we've been made righteous, we have obtained peace with God and are no longer His enemy. And now even our suffering results in joy because of the hope and comfort in the Spirit. Let's just read these few verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, 
and perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been, has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Why? All because we've been justified by faith. All because we've been made, that's what justified means, we've been made not guilty. We've been made righteous. That's what justified means. There's no longer anything standing against you. How? Because Jesus Christ has become our peace. There's no enmity, there's no strife between us and God. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. That angel proclaimed at his birth, peace, goodwill to men. And that is what Jesus was meant to bring. Not necessarily peace on earth per se, but we on earth do receive peace. But it's a peace that also brings us into eternity with God. No longer bound by guilt to hell. And we receive that through being poor in spirit and receiving forgiveness from the Lord, having mourned over our sin and really believe that we're sinners. Because if you really believe it truly in your heart, then you mourn over it. If you don't really believe it, then you don't mourn over it. And those who are poor in spirit and those who mourn over their sin, those are not, those are not people who have performed the right sacraments in order to receive God's favor. No. They are simply in a state where they can actually see God's favor and receive it. You know, my son, he really likes Chuck E. Cheese. He likes to, he likes to um, put those coins into those games, play those games, receive those, to- those uh, tickets. I don't know if they even do tickets anymore. I think it's just a little card or maybe that's how you pay for the games. Anyway, everything is getting ruined by technology. <laughs> um, but how is he supposed to go and receive those prizes if he doesn't first and enjoy some Chuck E. Cheese, right? You have to be there in order to receive the blessing. And being poor in spirit and mourning over your sin are not acts that God accepts No, they are simply a way, a a place where we can receive his favor. He's already given it to us. We talked about this more last week. He's already given it to you. The problem is we're not in a place to receive it because we're too full of ourselves. So being poor in spirit, being acutely aware of the, the despicable nature of our sin, These are necessary postures for receiving favor from God. They are not necessary actions that we get that God blesses. They are postures that we must have if we are going to be in a place to receive it. And now we get here to the meek. Now this, just to illustrate, once we have received Forgiveness. Once we have received the right of passage into the kingdom, the Lord God through His Spirit plants within us a seed. A seed from which a beautiful tree over time grows. All these branches start shooting off. 
fruit begins to grow from those branches. And it all started with this little seed. A seed that contained everything necessary for that whole beautiful tree to to transform and grow and flourish and bear much fruit unto good works. And we're going to see here that meekness, it's not just a good quality to have. It is the seed of righteousness, practical righteousness, okay? I'm not talking about a righteousness that is the forgiveness of sins, but now we're talking about righteous living. Meekness is that seed from which all other acts of righteousness, all other resemblances to Jesus Christ flow. Meekness. Therefore, it is impossible to really define meekness because meekness is the seed of all things, is the seed of all practical righteousness. You can't define it as simply humility, gentleness, even though those things are involved in meekness. But meekness shows itself anywhere there is true righteousness from a, from a child of, Christ, of God, from an heir to the kingdom. Meekness is everywhere that you see true Christ-likeness in a person. Meekness will always be there, just in a different form. So I'm not going to try to define it with a term like humility or gentleness, even though it's defined. It's translated in the Bible as meekness, humility, um, and gentleness. It's translated like that. But that's the problem with us and our, our desire to really have a definitive translation for words. It's not always possible. Just like the word loving kindness in the Old Testament, it comes from the word hesed, which is impossible to translate. It's actually translated over you know, over a hundred different ways. Um, but it's that seed of love that, that reveals itself in multiple different ways. Uh, meekness is similar in that regard. Where it's if you are going to look like Jesus, meekness will be there in every different way. Every single way that you look like Jesus, meekness is there. If meekness is not there, then it's not Jesus. It's not Christ-likeness. So we see, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's, having this in mind about the meekness being the seed of all the flourishing goodness that is resembled by a believer, let's jump over to the promise, okay? If you are meek, you will inherit the earth. Now, in order to explain this, we need to explain a little bit of how these people that were listening to this were thinking. Look at John chapter 14 real quick. John chapter 14. Verse 21 says... He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, so he had two different disciples named Judas, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, we're not going to go into this complete 
um, passage here, but this is to, to give you an example of how the disciples were viewing Christ and how he was going to operate in the world. He says, when he's talking about manifesting himself, he's talking about the full revelation of the Messiah and everything that he came to accomplish. Now, in the disciples' mind, and in everybody's, all the Jews' mind, they saw the Messiah as one who was going to come and restore national glory for Israel. He's going to overtake the world. In fact, not only is he going to, over, is he going to free Israel from bondage, it's not, it's not that it's going to be some sort of oppressive conquest in the world, but he will fulfill the promise of making all nations worship the one true God. All nations to worship the one true God. So when the Messiah came, he was going to be the revelation of the glory and the majesty and the theocracy of God in the whole world. So it didn't make any sense to this disciple Judas how Jesus said, if you keep my commandments and love me, I'll manifest myself to those people. That doesn't, that doesn't compute because the manifestation, the glorious manifestation of the Messiah, it's supposed to be something that's obvious to the whole world because it includes the whole world. Everybody's going to see this warpath going on throughout the world, in a sense. You can't just show that to one person and not the other. It didn't make sense to them. But Jesus is saying, there's only some people that are going to see my manifestation. Only some people are going to be able to take part in this conquest and be able to see it. And Judah says, how in the world are you supposed to show yourself to us and not to everybody? Because it was supposed to be a very real, very physical thing, noticeable. But that, that's how they were thinking. But then Jesus was not talking about that kind of a conquest. It's not an earth conquest. It's not a temporal, military, nationalistic conquest. Jesus was not talking about that. And some of you, and sometimes me, some of much of the Christian church in America actually struggles from this too. We think that if the church is just good enough, well then America will be restored to a Christian nation. That's not the purpose. God is establishing his own nation, and it's not the United States of America. It's the, the church is his glorious nation. The church is his kingdom of priests. The United States is not his nation. It never was and it never will be, because that's not what Christ came to do. He didn't come to claim another nation. Oh, Israel dropped the ball. Oh, I picked the United States of America. That's not his plan. That's not his purpose. We are not supposed to... I mean, we should love our country enough to want the people to see the light of the gospel. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about that. But what I'm saying is we need to be careful so that we do not fall into this trap that the disciples were in in thinking that we just need our nation to become a Christian nation again. No, that's not why Christ came. Because he only manifests himself to the individual who follows him. Not the nation, the individual. He come to save our sins. Each one of you, he came to manifest himself to you. Not to the global scene, 
even though the global scene is going to take part in this. But let's look some. Let's look at some more in this, just for sake of time. We have to move on. But look at. Uh, let's see here. I need to skip some stuff here. This ties into. We cannot focus on the flesh. Okay? We cannot focus on the flesh. Even though the flesh transforms, the flesh only transforms when the spirit plants the seed of meekness within our spirit. And that flourishes. That flourishes within us. Okay? We cannot say we have this physical nationalistic glory that we can fall into the trap of. And we can also fall into the trap of as long as I have the right rules in my life, the Lord will shine His glory upon me. This is not necessarily nationalistic glory. This might actually be worse because it's just selfish. It's just about you. I want my righteousness to be revealed through my, to my, to my own strength. My own strength will accomplish my righteousness. My own strength will accomplish my glory. My own strength will cause me to be... Um, accepted and welcomed by God. Is this not the mindset that was um, of those people that Jesus says, one day there will be people standing before God and God will say, depart from me because I never knew you. I never knew you. And those people, some of those people will say, but Lord, look at, look at our lives. Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? Even miraculous works? How many of you have ever performed a miracle? How many of you can say, I have done so many wondrous works in the name of Christ that cannot be compared? Yeah, this is pride. But these people probably really did some amazing works in the name of Christ. But their response to God revealed their impurity. But God, we did so many things. Just imagine yourself before the throne of God. What will you feel? Will you feel timid like, I just really hope I did everything right. I really hope that I did enough. I mean, just, just picture it. Imagine it. You die... And you're sitting before the throne of God and he is sitting there in the judgment seat. And you're sitting waiting for him to speak. What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your soul? It would be natural to fear. This is God right in front of you. This has never happened before. High and lifted up this mighty one, who, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one who made the law. The one who did all of this. Yeah, there's going to be some fear, but why is that fear there? Well, and what will you be thinking about in your heart? Will you be thinking, oh, I got to look through, I'm looking through all of my life to see, oh, I did that, I really hope he doesn't bring that up. I really, I just really hope that that doesn't really count against me, that thing that I did. Man, I really hope that he notices all these things that I did do, all these sacrifices that I did make. I really hope he notices those things. And I hope the conglomerative um, nature of my life was good enough. 
Well, you fear because you're not sure if you were good enough, if you did it right enough, if you did the right stuff enough. Is that what you'll fear? Well, then you're just like these other people who the Lord says, I never knew you. Because the, the thought coming to your head is, but can't you see what I did? Our confidence is not in any of that. And their immediate response to the Lord's rejection was, can't you see what I did? Our immediate response to the presence of God and the judgment of God for the believer is, I don't have to fear his condemnation anymore. Because there is no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. Because he's forgiven my sins. Yeah, I know I did all of those things. But he forgave them. Yeah, I had these acts of righteousness, but I was not doing those things so that I could get his favor. I was doing those things because I love him. And he gave me a great commission. He gave me a great expectation of righteousness. He gave me his nature to follow. And because I loved him, I wanted to obey him. It's not, because, it's not because I was trying to get him to like me. It was because he already loved me. Therefore, I love him. He sought after me, so now I seek after him. He claimed me, so now I claim him. He devoted himself to me, so now I devote myself to him. I'm not doing it so that he would devote himself. I don't devote myself to him so that he'll devote himself to me. I'm not loving him so that he'll love me. I'm not seeking after him so that he'll seek after me. Okay? The people that God never knew had it backwards. And you need to beware lest you get it backwards. Now is the time to beware. To see to it that you know the true gospel. So that when you stand before his judgment, you don't have to fear condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You understand? What we fear is not condemnation. Yeah, God is great and God is power and full and He is full of glory and that should accompany a certain level of fear that results in obedience. That's part of the story. But not because of condemnation, but because of who He is and what He deserves. So we can seek Christ for the sake of nationalistic glory like the disciples. We can seek Christ for the sake of our own glory. To take confidence in the flesh. But this is condemnation in the flesh. But who receives righteousness? Who shall inherit the earth? It's the meek. We also fall into the problem of when we perform ministry. And this is something that we have to keep in mind as we as a church try to move forward. Okay, We have a past and we have a future. In the present, what's our intention for the future? We have to be careful. Because I've seen many churches, ministry, minist- what's the word I'm looking for? Um... They get so many ministries that they become obscure, that they become invisible, that they become useless. Not because they're not feeding people, but because they're feeding people right into the grave. Not because they're not um, 
holding enough Bible studies and running enough VBS programs and um, having enough opportunities for people to get involved. And there are churches that have more opportunities to get involved than um, we will probably ever have people that could even get involved in every single ministry. But we can do so to our own ill, to our own defeat. Yeah, those you know, church might thrive and flourish, but underneath it all, it's defeated. Why? Because all they really care about is feeding people, helping people not feel lonely, giving encouraging words, giving some money. That's all we really care about. We're satisfied in the works of our hands. Oh, I encouraged so-and-so because I visited them in the hospital. Yay, me! Oh, I gave some money to so-and-so. Yay, me! Oh, we fed all this amount of people. Yay, me! And we fall into the same train of thought that the disciples were mistaken by. Do we just do those things? Or are we seeking something deeper? And this is what I'm trying to get us to, to get, to, to get us to understand the deeper. We fall short when we believe that we're doing the work of God simply because, simply because we're providing needs, physically or psychologically. Do you not know that both the, the physical and the psyche will both perish? If all we did was help the physical state or the psychological state of a person or the emotional state of a person, we've fallen short. Because that person is still on their way to hell. Do we not care about the eternal soul? That is not to say that we don't do those things. We should be doing those things because the Lord Jesus did those things too. He was constantly feeding people, healing people, encouraging people, blessing people. But what's the end goal? Jesus reveals the end goal, and we're going to look at that and how he deals with the Pharisees. But I want you to see the inheritance, the inheritance, the, the earth, the meek, not the proud, not the powerful. Okay? Rome was never going to inherit the earth. In our world, United States, Russia, China, we're never going to inherit the world. Not in the sense that Jesus is talking about. Maybe politically speaking, one of these days, one of these nations will conquer the whole world. Nobody's been able to really conquer the whole world ever. Some have come close. But nobody's really going to conquer the world in Jesus' sense. But Jesus is saying to these people that are listening, the world is yours if you're meek. The world is not yours if you're powerful. The world is not yours if you are <clears throat> astute, smart, dominating. Those aren't the people who inherit the earth. Look at Revelation 21. Just take a look at this. This is a picture of the inheritance. And it's beautiful. Revelation 21, 1-7 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So here John, who wrote the book of Revelation, was writing the majority of this book because of some visions that he had seen that, was, that were given to him by God. Prophetic visions. And here he says he sees a new heaven and a new New earth. Now the heaven that he's talking about is probably the celestial realm, not necessarily the city of heaven, but perhaps, but heaven technically just means the expanse that is above. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, so coming down from the stars, perhaps. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. In verse 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Look at that last verse. He who overcomes shall inherit all of these things. You see, you read that in conjunction with Jesus when he says, The meek shall inherit the earth. And we take those ideas, we put them together in the same sense. The people of Israel were in, a, were in a state where they had been overdone, over, overcome by the nations. And Jesus, God, Jesus, is prophesying to John, the meek will be overcomers. The meek are the overcomers. The meek are the ones who accomplish. The meek are the ones who receive, who inherit, to whom the nations are reserved. This city, this nation, this earth, this new earth. We could talk about this and we'll, we'll do a series on prophecy at some point. There is much to be said about this passage. And perhaps as we're reading this, all these questions were popping into your head. And I'm glad they were. Because there's lots of things to be talked about just in this passage. But this inheritance will be ours if we are meek. Now let's get into the meekness, okay? Matthew 11. 25. So if we're going to be an overcomer, are we to be powerful? Are we to be stronger? Are we, are we supposed to stiff arm our way into the kingdom? Matthew eleven twenty five through 30 says, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and have revealed them unto babes. So here he's already introducing this concept that the truth, the kingdom of God, these things cannot be understood by those who you think should be able to understand them. You've hidden them from the wise and the prudent. You've revealed them to babies. Babies who can't do anything, who have no strength, no ability. They're the ones who see these things. Even so, Father, for 26, for it seemed good in your sight. It's God's will that this be the case. God only wants the babies. God only wants the children. Those who come to him like children. That, those are the only ones that God wants. Verse 27, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
This is that word for meekness. You could translate this, I am meek and lowly in heart. And find, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we, meet, we see a meek Jesus who describes himself like this. I am rest for those who are weary. I am gentle and lowly in heart. My yoke, it's easy. The burden that I present to you is light. Some of us know people who, when they enter, enter into a room like a hurricane, and while they're there, you're just, everybody's exhausted, and they're just overwhelming, their personality, their, their, their emotions, their attitude, it's just too much, and you just, everybody's just waiting for them to leave, and then once they leave, it's just like everybody's hair is all messed up, and the room is a disaster, <laughs> you know, um, illustratively anyway. And it's just like everybody's exhausted and worn out just because that person was there. That's not meekness. That's not a meek person. That person might, have, might be very energetic, but that does not necessarily mean you can't be meek. But look, Jesus is not somebody who is exhausting. Jesus is not somebody who is just laying burden upon burden. And that's one of the reasons people don't want to accept Christ. They just feel like, I just have to follow all these rules if I become a Christian. I don't want to do that. But no, he turns, he turns it on its head. No, all of y'all are burdened. All of y'all are heavy laden. You have the whole law that you have to keep if you want to be perfect. No, but I, I have a burden for you that is light. I have a burden for you that is easy. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And just turn the page over to Matthew chapter 12, verses 4, verses yeah, let's start in verse 14 to 21. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. They wanted to get rid of the guy. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. So instead of confronting the Pharisees and arguing with them at that point in space, he does argue with them. But he went out and he healed some people. He provided some blessing. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by, the, by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. So first we, we declare, we see here, verse 16, he, he warned them not to make him known. He wasn't here to build his own name. He wasn't here to draw attention to himself. And that's part of the problem with people who are not meek. They're constantly trying to build themselves. They're trying, constantly trying to get their own way. They see things one way, and that's the only way. There's no... I mean, you have to do it this way or else I'm going to be mad with you. Jesus wasn't, no, he wasn't about his own things. He wasn't trying to get attention. He wasn't trying to get his own way. He wasn't trying to build a name for himself or be powerful and authoritative and, you know, be the one that everybody looked up to, even though, you know, that, that's another conversation. But no, what does it say? 
He didn't quarrel or cry out in verse 19. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets, okay? He's not obnoxious. He's not a nuisance. A bruised reed he will not break. You know, kind of a, you know, perhaps, you know, out here you have a, a stalk of hay or, or perhaps corn that is fully grown. Well, somebody may, maybe walks by and bumps it, bruises it, so that now it's about to topple over if just the, the right gust of wind or, or if you bump it again and it's coming down, it's going to fall over because it's already wounded there in that stalk. But he says he's going to be so gentle that a bruised reed, it's not going to break. A smoking flax he will not quench. That smoking candle that had just been that had just been burned, you know, blown out. Well, you're not even going to be able to see the smoke move when he passes by. Because he's gentle. He's not a storm. But what happens? Till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Okay? In, in the end, this kind of meekness gets the earth, gets everybody. He gets everybody. This gentle person. That's not what makes sense in, in military, though. In classical Greek, the word for meek was often used to describe a tame animal. You know, some of you have had horses. Perhaps you had a horse from the time it was wild. And you saw that wild horse. You wouldn't put your kid on that horse. You wouldn't let it around your, your kids. But once that horse is tame, there's no worries. Put your kid on top of that horse. He'll be fine. No problems. He's not going to buck that child off. He's not going to hurt that child. In fact, they might do everything, everything possible to make sure that they don't hurt that horse. Because they're aware of that child. Or that they don't hurt that child, sorry. They'll do everything in their power to avoid hurting that child because they're tame. And that's a, that was one of the ways that this word was used. They're not harmful. They're not uncontainable or unrestrained or unreserved or terribly dangerous. It's not how Christ was. You know, you think about, it also, this reminds me of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel where there was a there was a bet made, basically. Hey, you call out to your God, I'll call out to my God. Whoever's God sends down fire, we'll worship that God. So what are the prophets of Baal doing? Remember? Can you remember the picture, the scene? They were shouting out, they were crying, they were at the top of their, tongue, their lungs for hours, they were cutting themselves, they were abusing themselves to try to get their God's attention they were loud, they were obnoxious. You could probably hear the clamor for miles. But Elijah, his prayer was how many words long? Not very many. I can't remember the amount of words it was. Simple prayer. God, send down fire so that the people might worship you. Down came the fire, consuming everything in its path. And this is the way God does things. We do not put on the show. God is glorious and full of power and authority and wonder and amazement. But you and I, we don't call down that kind of that scene by being obnoxious. And Jesus did not come with a clamor. He came with a whisper. 
In Matthew chapter 23, I'm not going to look there because it's pretty much the entire chapter, and we don't have time to read the whole chapter. But this is a, I want you to read this because this shows the other side of meekness. Meekness, does not, it's not necessarily that it never opens its mouth, or that it never stands up for justice. In fact, meekness does stand up for justice firmly. In chapter 23, Jesus, this is like his famous chapter of yelling at the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, eight times. He calls them hypocrites, eight times. He tells them that they're condemned to hell four times. He calls them blind guides, fools and blind, self-indulgent, extortioners, painted gravestones, full of dead man's bones, unclean, lawless, murderers, serpents, a brood of vipers. All of this in one breath. Have you ever had a conversation like that with somebody? That is one harsh conversation. But it wasn't for his own sake, though. When you read this, you see that Jesus' passion against the Pharisees was because, for instance, they were called the whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones in relation to the fact that he had also said, you hold the keys to the kingdom, but you don't enter in yourselves, nor do you let anybody else in. They are standing there in their beautiful, clean robes of authority, leading the people in their majesty, but leading them to death. They were gravestones that were beautiful, that people came to, to uh, appreciate, but underneath, it's just depravity. Underneath is just all the people that they have sent to hell. Jesus was against the Pharisees because of every person that they sent to hell. Every person that they misled. Every person that they used for their own gain. He wasn't against the Pharisees for his own sake. He was against the Pharisees because of all the people that they had hurt. That was, he was not necessarily mild-tempered in his meekness, but in his meekness, he was humbly fighting the cause of the oppressed. Humbly, not quietly, humbly, because it wasn't about him. He wasn't trying to earn a name for himself by doing this. He was doing this because he cared about the people. In verse 37, you can read that, but in thir verse 37, you can see the compassion in Matthew chapter <clears throat> 23. It's as though he was crying for the sake of these people. Other, elsewhere in Jesus' ministry, we see him becoming indignant, angry with his disciples because they restrained children. Because he wanted those children to be blessed. Not because he was getting something from those children. It's not like those children were bringing him candy and he just really wanted the candy. No, he wanted to bless those children. So he became angry with the disciples because those disciples did not see the eternal thing going on here. He called Peter Satan once for trying to restrain him from the Father's mission. It wasn't about him, it was about the mission. He threw out the money changers in the temple because, not because they were doing something against Jesus, but because they were restraining people from proper worship. Christ had much anger but in Psalm chapter 78, verse 50, it talks about how, in ver you know, quote unquote, he made a path for his anger. Okay? Meekness is not unrestrained 
Meekness is not unrelenting either. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 9, God, it says that God deferred his anger so that the people would not be completely destroyed. So he had anger, but he put it on a path for a specific purpose, and it, he did not, it was not unrestrained. No, he knew when to stop so that his purposes through his anger might be fulfilled and that the people would not be utterly destroyed. He was calculated, purposeful, and controlled in this passionate anger. He was not unrestrained or unrelenting. All of this heat does not come from pride. It comes from love. And that is the core that drives the engine of meekness, love. Meekness, by necessity, involves passionate love, zeal, and determination. Not for oneself, but for God, for other people. Coming back to those two great commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's meekness. Meekness defines all the commandments. It is the mother of all obedience. It is the seed from which the tree grows. It is the trait of Christ given to us at salvation by which we please God through faith and good works. And it grows. It is not always perfect. And it grows. It flourishes through continual use. Are you meek? Are you meek? Or are you self-righteous? Self-centered? Or rather, are you gentle? Are you empty of self-ambition? The things that you say to people, the things that you argue with people about, is it for your sake? Or is it for the sake of God and His people? It's not a sin necessarily to argue, but why? Why are you arguing? Why are you having a hard time with this other person? Is it because of yourself? Or is it for the good of another? Are you the type that blows in, blows up, and blows out, leaving destruction in your path? Are you constantly argue, arguing? Okay, arguing can be good, but if you're constantly arguing, then you're not. Then it's not happening properly. Are you always contradicting someone? Are you rarely agreeable? Are you full of yourself? Are you self-seeking? These are not meekness. We do not seek meekness as a moral pill, okay? We talked about this at the very beginning. It's not a moral pill because we just want to be a better person. That goes against the very core of meekness. It's not about you being a better person. It's about making a path for the good of others and for the glory of God. Meekness doesn't look upon... It's not that you think poorly of yourself. It's that you just don't even think about yourself. Okay? Don't take that the wrong way either. It's not a meek, humble person is not a person who is constantly thinking horrible thoughts about themselves. No, that's just as much pride as thinking awesome things about yourself. Why? Because you're focused on yourself. No, meekness doesn't even consider oneself. It considers the good of the glory of God and the good of other people. This is the nature of Christ. Christ didn't think about himself. His whole mission was for others and for the glory of God. His mission was to point people to the Father and to provide forgiveness for the sins of everybody that didn't deserve it. Meekness is not what saves us. 
but it is given to us when we are redeemed. So the question is not necessarily, do you have meekness, as much as it is, are you willing or letting Christ's meekness overtake you? Because it's not yours, it's something that's given to you that makes you like Christ. Are you letting that overtake you? Or are you too into you to let Christ make you all about other people? But I would, all this I'd have to give up. Yeah, you'd have to give up. You'd have to drop it. Okay? You'd have to drop this warpath that you're on. Are you going to let Christ overtake you? Make you like him? If you are, look to meekness. Well, look to Jesus, but learn from his meekness. There's much more that can be said on this. And we can see, we'll see it displayed throughout the, the, uh, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But we've already gone way over time. But you must see, meekness is not something that is to be overlooked. No, meekness is at the heart of the Christian life. If you don't have meekness, then everything else is tied to some sort of self-sufficiency. If you don't have meekness, then you're never going to be glorifying to God through anything. So seek Christ and learn from his meekness. God, I thank you for this image of Christ. And I thank you, even through all these bumbling words that I'm, that I'm expressing, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see still the image of Christ he came to give us a, a picture of God. We don't set up idols. No, we see the life of Christ. We see who he ha- what he has displayed. And we follow him. The friend beckons to us, Come, follow me. Listen to me. Learn of me. I am lowly in heart. Take my burden. I pray, Lord, we would be humble enough, empty enough to listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.